You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. picture of my years in elementary school. I have fond memories. I attended the same school for seven years, beginning in kindergarten through sixth grade. It was called Willow Hill Elementary School, and it was a school up on a hill, and it had a very large playground. Some of the playground was paved so that you could play basketball or four square or hopscotch or games like that. And then there was also a field with all sorts of playground equipment, um, things like tire swings and monkey bars and jungle gyms. Most of that's been torn down because it's so unsafe. Um, uh, But when I was a kid, that was all still there. And then there was a a higher level with uh, soccer fields and football fields. And this playground was also surrounded by a large forest and you could also play in the forest even as long as you didn't go too far or if a teacher caught you going too far into the forest you would be in trouble and for about 30 minutes twice a day this was our heaven during a thing that we call recess how many have heard of recess yeah i like recess i think it's good I wish they maybe had more recess over here sometimes. Now, um, where I grew up was very snowy during the winter. We would get uh, over 100 inches of snow a year. And uh, it would just snow kind of from March, uh, from November through March. And they would have to pile all that snow into these big piles, push it off to the side, and these snow banks, and they would grow into sort of like little hills, little mountains. So through the winter time, we of course still had recess, and one of the games that we liked to play a lot was called King of the Mountain. Uh, What this is, is basically children climb to the top of a snow hill, and, and then whoever's on the top and in the center, they're the king. And they want to remain king as long as they can, and the other children are trying to tear that child down, and then they would take the spot over. Now you can imagine that no one remains king for very long. As soon as you were to stand at the top of the snow pile and raise your hands and say, I'm king, then someone would come from behind and knock you down and you would go falling down the hill. And now snow, everyone thinks snow is really soft, but actually if it's been piled into a big pile like that, it's not soft at all. It's kind of frozen solid in these little boulders. It's more like a pile of rocks. Kind of hurts when you get pushed down the snow pile. From an early age, we seem to have a desire to figure out who is greatest. Whether it's king of the mountain or maybe uh, knowing how much someone scores in school sports. Perhaps over here in Asia, it's more common to keep score by what someone has tested on a test or where their place is in a class. From a young age, we seem to be concerned already with this question, who is the greatest? 
And then that question continues into adulthood as well. I picture an office building and uh, near the front door there's a parking spot with a sign that says reserved for the CEO. And maybe there's a really nice car parked in this parking spot. Another employee may say, boy, I wish I was the guy on the top. But adults are kind of playing this king of the mountain game as well. Often those who are at that position are the ones that have the most people running at them, trying to knock them out of that position also. Who is the greatest? Now even Jesus' disciples wanted to know in the kingdom of heaven which one of them was going to be number one. Of course, Jesus is is number one. He's the one walking on water and healing people. But after Jesus, you know, which one was going to be the most important? Everyone wanted to know. And we know that we are so often asking this same question as well, but in different ways. This sort of continues our theme in the gospel. This comes up again and again, is that God's thinking is opposite of our thinking. So often the way that God would have us approach life is the opposite to the way that the world or just our own thinking would have us approach something. So Jesus takes this little child, an infant, and and sets the child in the middle and says, become like this child and then you are the greatest. Now, we understand that in that culture and at that time, children were considered quite unimportant. They were not placed on a pedestal as they are in our culture and in our day. They were supposed to be seen and not heard. Children were just kind of uh, uh, background noise. They weren't uh, uh, something to be paid all that much attention to. So Jesus was making a very drastic point when he uh, takes this small child and places the child in the middle of a group of grown men and says, here you go, be like this child. And throughout this chapter I read, Jesus starts to talk about acts of service, acts of kindness, helping those in need. He talks about protecting the innocence of children. That is what's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are not things that get you to the top of the mountain in our world and in our society. But those are the things that are right. Now, our gospel lesson kind of jumps all over the place today. Uh, When I was preparing for this, my head was swimming because I wasn't sure what I wanted to preach or teach on. We don't have headings in our bulletin of the different sections, but if you were to open a, a, a Bible, most of them have these kind of section heads now to help you know where you are and what it's talking about. And these are the section titles uh, for our gospel reading this morning. There's four different sections. The first section was, Who is the Greatest? But then just seven verses later, we we switch to the topic of temptations to sin. And then three verses later, now Jesus is talking about the parable of the lost sheep. 
And then finally, verse 15, we get this rubric, this, um, this teaching about how you are to go about confronting someone who has sinned against you. This famous Matthew 18. At first, each one of these sections looked a little bit unrelated to me. Certainly, I could preach an entire sermon on each one of those sections. But then, after I looked long enough, I saw a theme that ran through all four sections. That theme is the importance of just one person. The number one keeps showing up again and again throughout this chapter. Jesus puts one small child in the midst of of these adults, and he says, Have faith, become like this child. Then he says, Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. And then he says, Whoever causes one such child to sin, woe to them. In the next story, Jesus seems to be speaking of the seriousness of sin. Even just one sin is so serious, you ought to take drastic measures to cut it out of your life whenever you can. Then the parable of the lost sheep. He says, leave the 99 and go after the one. It is not God's will that even one should perish, but that each and every person is precious to him. And finally, when we're receiving direction about reconciling with someone, restoring someone who has sinned against you, Jesus says, don't write them off. Go to them and go to them one-on-one first. If that doesn't work, then bring in others and bring in the church. But you ought to begin by talking to them as an individual. And trying to reconcile. Each person matters. God cares about protecting each person's innocence, calling each person out of sin, pursuing each person, and then, if they do sin, restoring them gently, one on one. Who is the greatest? All of this is the opposite of who is the greatest. All of this is the opposite of that question. So I wanted to move from that question to a better question. And that's actually the conclusion of my sermon. I thought we could move toward a better question. And don't ask who is the greatest. Instead ask, how can I view each and every person with the same amount of importance that God has placed upon that person. This is another way of asking, how can I view the world through God's eyes? We do fail at this so often, giving each and every person that amount of dignity, that amount of respect, and knowing how much God loves each person. Because God leaves the 99. He goes after the one. God loves each person. God sent his son to die for each person. Maybe this is the better question that we would see. How can we view the world the way that God does? Amen.